everyone. Welcome to the PwC TaxBite podcast series. My name is Peter and I'm very happy today to welcome Jorgen and Kim in my recording studio. Today I want to talk about uh, an interesting topic. Um, it's, it's a hot topic and it's about future-proof statutory reporting. Um, this is going to be a sub-series of the PwC TaxBite series. So uh, in this series, there will be a couple of uh, uh, episodes where we will focus on this particular topic, uh, as we see this as a very hot and important topic in, in, in the interactions that we have with our clients. First of all, let me introduce you, Jorgen and Kim. So uh, Jorgen Brotaars is leading our global compliance network in PwC, and Kim de Smet uh, is a global stat uh, expert, uh, part of the Center of Excellence, focusing on the optimization of gap to stat conversions and how to maintain locally compliant ledgers across the globe. That's a mouthful, uh, Kim, but I'm sure you will uh, explain to the audience what uh, whatever you do day to day. Yeah, this as I said, this session is going to be part of a series where we'll explore this this topic, this particular topic of future proofing the statutory reporting function. And of course, we will make, uh, given that the audience of this podcast is is very much into taxation, we will make the links where possible to to tax. Um, the first session we will start with uh, setting a little bit the scene and 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 discuss a bit what that future proof model could look like. Um, Jorgen, let me start with you in, in a nutshell. What will be the main message of today? Hey, thanks, Peter. Well, as you can imagine, my my global role, it gives me uh, the great opportunity to talk to many clients based all over the world. And I always ask my contacts for their key challenges in managing the statutory and tax compliance in, in today's challenging and changing worlds. And one of the top concerns I hear from most clients is the fact that they feel that their statutory reporting function is is just not ready for the future needs. They they often talk about lacking end-to-end audit trails, uh, challenges with the governance. Um, often the tax function cannot get access to the data they are looking for when they need it. To to just name a few examples. And and what I feel is that with Pillar Two, a lot of these challenges they are coming to the forefront resulting in more conversations on stat than I've ever seen before in the last 25 years. So in the next couple of minutes, we want to help you to understand the options which are out there, because this is certainly not a one-size-fits-all. And we will also share our views on the key elements, driving the design of a statutory operating model to make it best fit for your organization. And then in subsequent podcasts, we will deep dive in the different components. Yeah, thank you, Jorgen. And um, it's time to get a bit more concrete in this in this topic. Eh? So, future proofing of the statutory reporting function. Um, Kim, may I ask you why is this such a hot topic for you? Uh, sure, um, Peter. So, we see first of all a continued trend of a compliance landscape that is increasing in complexity. Um, this has been going on for a few years now. Just think of all of the new local uh, tax obligations being implemented, invoicing that's being rolled out across more and more countries. And of course, as Jorgen already referred to, the introduction of Pillar 2, all of these new requirements are putting stat and tax functions under pressure. And in the past, multinationals were able to comply with most of the statutory reporting requirements in the different countries in a pragmatic way. The technology was lacking, um, in order to structurally address these requirements and processes were usually mostly manual 
often relying on the favorite tool, uh, Excel. Um, but um, although they weren't most efficient, they, they worked. With the increased complexity um, came an increased focus on transparency and the need for better audit trail. And that has made it more difficult for finance and tax professionals to stay on top of these local statutory and tax compliance requirements. There's no room for error anymore, and the pace of providing data to the local authorities has also significantly uh, increased in a lot of countries, um, in some even real-time, what we refer to as real-time reporting. Um, other examples are uh, safety files, e-reporting, e-audits, CBCR, tax control frameworks, um, and these all touch the, the global compliance processes, so from all angles, statutory, direct tax, indirect tax, transfer pricing, you name it. So that's one thing, the increased complexity. And then on the other hand, there's the trend of increased standardization and centralization, which also continues. We still see a lot of companies consolidating their activities in shared service centers or global delivery centers um, with a high focus on efficiency, on automation, on standardization. And of course, by using the right technology, which has in the meantime been uh, upscaled. So it's really a balancing act dealing with this increased complexity and the diversion requirements across countries, and then at the same time, further standardization and centralization. So the challenges that this poses in terms of people, processes, and data and technology are considerable. And in order to make improvements, really an all-encompassing approach is needed, which should consider these overall trends in order to be future-proof. Okay, yeah, thanks, Kevin. Uh, you rightfully uh, mentioned it. Eh? The, the, the statutory reporting becomes more and more important also for, for uh, tax purposes and, and Pillar 2, uh, you name it. Um, so I would like to, to ask you if you can explain a little bit to the audience what is now this best suited operating model for statutory reporting and why is it so difficult for global companies to get there? That's indeed a very important question, but it's also uh, not one that is easily answered. Um, first, maybe let's be practical and clear on what we refer to as statutory reporting. As such, it encompasses quite a few components, and of course, they are all linked to each other, but they each have their own challenges. So the, the really the basis, the starting point is the gap in which the accounting records are maintained on a daily basis. For multinational companies, it's usually the group gap. So um, for uh, most of the entities, uh, the, the gap in which the management reporting, the consolidation is performed. Let's take an example of a U.S. multinational. In that case, we usually start from U.S. gap. In a second phase, that group gap needs to be converted to local gap or stats. So for the entity of the multinational in Belgium, that will be Belgian gap. For another entity of that same multinational in Poland, it will be Polish gap and so on. When a gap to set conversion has taken place, you get a local stat trial balance. Um, for some countries, it is still sufficient to apply this conversion on a yearly basis only. But for more and more countries, this is becoming increasingly difficult. For example, because of the increased requirements, as we mentioned before, SAFTI, the e-ledgers, which really require a continuous update of your local stat accounting records. And then when you have your local stat trial balance in place, this will serve as a starting point to produce your statutory financial statements, as well as any other local tax or stat deliverables like corporate income tax returns, statistical filings, and so on. So that's the first part. So now that we are clear on the different components of the statutory reporting, 
um, let's look at the possible operating models. Um, there are a lot of models that we see with our clients in the market, um, each with its proper nuances. Some companies have internal finance and tax teams who are tackling these different step processes. Others fully outsource each and every part of these processes and others apply a mix depending on the country and the entity specifics. So there's definitely no one size fits all or there's no one single right approach. Of course, centralizing part of these processes would be ideal, building central expertise and capacity, but for a subscale region, it might not be the most effective solution because you, of course, need to consider the feasibility of, for example, recruiting local experts with local language skills at a reasonable cost. Also, you need to invest in ERP technology, which is localized to meet these local reporting rules. Um, so all of this needs to be considered. In order to define what then the best suited uh, model for you as a global company is, um, therefore you will need to create a framework uh, to drive um, that decision um, per entity and per country. Um, we always use our framework looking at three pillars. First of all, people and organization. Secondly, um, processes and data. And then finally, uh, technology. So if we look at the first pillar, people and organization, companies need to think about um, their need to have or to create in-house expertise of these local requirements. As each jurisdiction has its own set of requirements, local knowledge is essential to generate accurate set and text deliverables. How easy or difficult is it to master these requirements in each country? It will depend, of course, from country to country, also depending on the uh, characteristics of the business, the footprint in that country, just to name a few. Um, the typical drivers we see for centralization are the volumes of that entity, the materiality. Um, typical drivers for outsourcing are uh, the lack of in-house expertise, the time constraints to respond to changes in regulatory needs, uh, a strategic choice of investing in finance teams versus focusing on business teams, business priority, and so on. So a few questions that you can consider in this respect. Um, are the local compliance obligations sufficient to cover a full-time job or will the employee need to perform other tasks? If so, what would these other tasks be? Is he or she fit to do these? And do these additional tasks generate enthusiasm? Are the career opportunities um, there for this local expert? Um, on the other hand, we have, of course, the fact that external service providers are not only flexible and at the forefront of changes in local legislation, but they also continuously invest in the latest technology and in training, which may help you limit your internal investment. So, again, a delicate uh, balancing exercise. The second pillar that we look at, uh, processes and data, these are heavily impacted by the local obligations, of course. Which data is to be reported? What are the formal reporting requirements? What is the frequency to maintain local statutory ledgers? Just to name a few. Another factor to consider here is the balance of um, how compliant do you want to be uh, versus taking a more risk-based approach. In some countries, tax authorities understand the challenges that multinationals face and may accept a more pragmatic approach. In other countries, that's more difficult. Uh, a very basic example is local knowledge, uh, local language. Sorry, um, what is still needed in in some of these countries to really have available in the accounting records themselves. 
Then we have the gap to cell adjustments themselves, so the differences between gaps. Um, we will come back to this in uh, the next session, but uh, we just want to highlight that most people think of the gap policy differences when we talk about gap to step differences, but in reality, they only account for between 20 and 30% of all the gap to step differences. All of the others um, are cut off um, granularity related differences. So um, there's also some nuances to make here. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's important to consider these, of course. And next to these actual gap to set differences, there's also like the more format driven requirements um, that don't really impact the statutory numbers, but uh, which are important in order to make sure that you have compliant accounting records. We again refer to the um, e-files, the fact filing friends, e-ledgers in Turkey, South in Poland uh, as a few examples. Um, so, of course, analyzing, understanding and documenting your gap to set adjustments on a more frequent basis increases the quality of both your gap and set financials. Uh, it will allow you to early ident identify any errors um, or deal with specific accounting complexities as they occur. Um, and that will improve the quality. And of course, data quality essential for an efficient process. Uh, it's imperative that companies invest enough time in preparing accurate baseline data. And then we have the third and last pillar, technology. Um, so here you need to identify uh, which level of stat localization is needed to make this ERP work for maintaining your local statutory books. For some countries, the business ERP will be sufficient to meet the local regulatory requirements without localization, without customization. For others, localization will be needed. So it's really again looking where does it make sense to embed these localization packages um, for subscale entities, it might not be the, the best choice. Um, so that's, uh, in a nutshell, <laughs> Peter, uh, the answer to your question. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Kim. Yeah, I, I recognize what you say also from my experience with, with topics like the two the component technology, people, the quality and processes and data. So so I very much recognize that. And the way I see it, uh, Kim, it, it must be like a balancing act eh, with no single right answer for, for a, a company or for a group, but but merely balancing a bit uh, these these three pillars, um, depending on maturity of the business, complexity of the business, the regulatory environment, probably all will, all will need to be considered. Um, but Jorgen, with, with your experience, there must also be some um, some ideas you have on, on what is definitely not a way to go and eh? what should be avoided at all times uh, in, in, in this seat, in this setting. Can you ex enlighten us a little bit on that? Yeah, sure, Peter. Um, we indeed still see a lot of companies applying a suboptimal approach, eh? meaning the gap to stat conversion process. It's done using disconnected processes, uh, complicated, non-standardized Excel spreadsheets, or even by redoing the bookkeeping on a local level. It, it's something we see very, very often still in practice. And while these solutions, they, they may have been best fit in the past, for instance, from, from a cost perspective or with the technology available at that moment in time, but they are just not sustainable for the future. Uh, just taking into account the, the increasing complexity of the requirements, but also the, the need for businesses to further standardize, to further centralize, to further optimize in general their processes. Um, also, what we see is that these processes or these these approaches typically don't offer sufficient comfort, transparency, 
or the trail. Very often, there's actually really a black box uh, because they don't foresee a continuous uh, reconciliation. Um, and in general, it will not surprise you that we feel that they are um, quite uh, time-consuming uh, and also error-prone. The extreme example, and uh, which we just gave of redoing the bookkeeping for local standards, uh, it's also called parallel ledgers often. And clearly that is not the ideal. And the most future-proof model, it's actually quite the opposite of this one. It's, it's all about maintaining dual gap accounting. So accounting for both group gap and local gap at the same time. It's about strictly embedding the local gap accounting process in the people process and technology of the general accounting function. You could say it's it's really step by design. And again, not every entity of every company is going to be ready for that, but we do see that more and more entities will need to evolve to this approach. So uh, that is something we will look at uh, on, on how to achieve that in episode three of this podcast series. Okay, thanks, Jorin. You're uh, uh, teasing us already a bit uh, to continue to listen to the podcast, of course, and that's good. That's good because uh, I think uh, the audience will will have uh, have seen or, or experienced in this podcast that probably a lot that we were talking about has been high on the agenda. If you look at ESG pillar two, whatever, th this is the topic that that you have dived into. So we'll continue with this uh, podcast series. It's sub series in in the tax bites where we focus on this, um, yeah, this this particular topic and. Um, Kim, perhaps you can uh, tease us as well a little bit on what to expect in the next episode. Uh, what should we look forward to? Well, in the next one, uh, we will tackle the data challenge. Uh, we briefly touched upon it uh, earlier uh, as well. So data is key. Qualitative data is essential, but it's not always uh, easy to get there. So we will look at how to solve for your data challenges in view of the statutory financial statements preparation process and this on a global level. Um, we will share our best practices, practical insights. So I would say uh, stay tuned. Yes, and with that, I thank you, Kim and Jorgen, for your uh, participation here in the recording studio. And I thank the audience for tuning in and hope to see you in the next episode.